Hello. Good morning. It's great to be with all of you. My name is Paul. Uh, this is a great Sunday because we have our picnic after service, so it's super fun to go hang out. Looking forward to that. I want to start us off by thinking this morning about the people that we know because we're in a second week of the series on Acts called Witness, and one of the things we're doing is try to think about how the gospel is communicated in the world and in the different spheres that we live in. So I want to start us off by thinking about the question, what kind of healing do the people we know need? So we're going to take a little poll. You now have permission to pull out your phones, and you can go to pbc.org slash poll. You can scan the QR code. You can submit up to three answers to that question. What kind of healing do the people in our community need? And I'm thinking... Uh, you know, certainly our church community, but also wider communities, our, our neighborhoods, our workplaces, our schools. Any answer is okay. Somebody in the test run said people need healing from my sermons. So, you know, that's a fair point. Um, whatever kinds of things people need healing from, go ahead and insert them in those. And we'll, we'll come back to that in a minute. As I said, this is our second week in the series that we've called Witness which is working through the 10 sermons within the book of Acts. The book of Acts is this hinge book that talks about how the story of Jesus, who was a poor Jewish carpenter with a mono-ethnic group of followers, a small movement, got transformed into the single most impactful movement in the history of the world. The book of Acts chronicles that development and a lot of it happens through these 10 messages that are delivered to different people. They're different speakers, different audiences, different words, different emphases, but the same overall message that Jesus is Lord and he has come to save and restore his creation. Last week, we saw the first of those messages, which was delivered to a group of people who were gathered for a Jewish festival after this miraculous event happened where everybody was speaking different languages. And we heard that Peter explained how the gospel reconciles people together, bringing together different cultures, different ethnicities, different languages, to unite people around Jesus in order to give glory to God. The passage this morning is similar in structure because there's this remarkable event that then Peter stands up to explain to his audience. In our case this morning, the remarkable event is that someone gets healed, and Peter stands up to explain how that healing occurred and what it means for the people that are in the area watching it. So that's why I want to get us thinking about what kind of healing are the people that we know in need of. So with that, let's look at our list. This is what came up with. If you're not familiar with this, it's called the word cloud, the bigger words are bigger because more people submitted those words. Um, so loneliness, relationships, sickness, stress, mental health. Uh, it's interesting, we reset this be between services, but loneliness was one of the bigger ones in the first service as well, uh, as was sickness and relationships, anxiety, mental health, trauma, all of these things. Um, I'm looking to see if anybody said my sermons, but I don't, <laughs> I don't see it in this list, which is good. Um, that's a lot of need. It's a lot of hurt in the world that we live in. 
we ourselves, a lot of us struggle with some of these things. We need healing from some of these things. And the question we want to think about this morning is that if we think Jesus heals people and we live in a world where a lot of people need healing, how do we connect those dots? How do we merge those things so that people can receive healing from Jesus? The question we're really wrestling with is how do we help people to see who Jesus is and how he can offer healing to them in their lives? Whenever we read a biblical story, our inclination is to insert ourselves into the story. We do this with any stories. We find a character that we resonate with and we kind of experience the story from their perspective. Now, our story this morning is about Peter delivering a sermon to a group of people. So it'll be very natural for you to insert yourselves in the story as the listeners to Peter's sermon. After all, you are sitting in a room or watching online listening to a sermon. So that's a common place for you to find yourself. What I want to ask us to do this morning, though, is to insert ourselves in the position of Peter. Because what we're trying to do in this series is think about how we can communicate the truth of the gospel to our culture. So as you're listening to this story, think about yourself as Peter, saying the words he says, trying to accomplish the kinds of things he's accomplishing in this story. And that'll help frame our goal of understanding how to bring healing into our world. The way we're going to do this this morning, we'll, we'll go backwards before the sermon a bit to look at this event that happens because that gives us the context. Then we're going to see how Peter explains that event. And then we're going to watch how Peter takes the explanation and turns it into an invitation to his listeners to respond in a particular way. So let's jump in. The event itself happens in Acts 3, in the beginning of it. The message happens a little later. We're not going to read the whole story, just enough to get a sense of what's going on. And to give you the background, this is What's happened is that a man who was born without the ability to walk, his entire life has been unable to walk, sees Peter and some other disciples walking by and asks them for money. And this is what transpires. This is uh, Acts 3. I'm going to read 6 through 8. But Peter said to the man, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up. And immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. This is an incredible story. And I want to observe just three aspects of the story before we move on. First of all, the condition this man experienced was completely debilitating and had essentially ruined his life. He could not walk. That's a physical condition, but it meant he could not work, which meant he lived in poverty. All he could do was beg. It meant he was an outcast, which meant he had to stand outside the temple. He wasn't allowed inside the temple because he was deformed. So this physical condition had completely affected every aspect of his life. And he suffered with that from birth. Second observation I want to make is how he was healed. Because when Peter speaks up 
about this event, he draws this fact out, and that is, Peter said, in the name of Jesus Christ, rise up and walk. And that's going to become significant, that it's the name of Jesus Christ that granted this man the ability to walk. Third observation is just that what he experienced, if the original condition was completely transformative of his life in a negative way, this healing completely transformed his life in a positive way. He immediately could walk. His ankles were healed. He didn't just stand up. He leapt up. He started walking and dancing. And what is the first thing he did? He entered the temple, which is what he wasn't allowed to do before. Everything about this man's life had been transformed in a second. He didn't go from like a B minus to a B plus. He went from an F to an A plus. A radical transformation of every aspect of this man's life. So that's the event that happened. And because it was a public event, everybody saw it. Everybody was aware of it. And Peter takes that opportunity to stand up and explain what has just happened. It's a bit surprising, though, that where Peter begins is not the event itself, but in the people's response to the event. Listen to what I mean. This is Acts 3. I'll read now 11 to 12. While he clung to Peter and John, that is the healed man, all the people, utterly astounded, ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's. That would have been a space inside the temple, the court of the temple. And when Peter saw it, he addressed the people. Men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Or why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety, we have made him walk? Notice that Peter begins by questioning their response to the event. Why do you wonder, he says. So perhaps it's helpful for us to think about how people we know might respond to a similar event. So go ahead and shout out answers. What, what do you think people you know would say if you walked up to them and say, or how would they respond if you said, hey, can I tell you about the person I know who was healed in the name of Jesus? What would they say? How would they respond? Really? Yeah. Questioning, what else? Later. Later? Interesting, yeah, yeah. Thanks? No thanks, yeah. I don't believe that. I don't believe that. Doubt, yeah, for sure. What do you think they'd think of you having asked that question? Strange. Strange, yeah. Anything else? Crazy, yeah. They'd be uncomfortable. Oh my gosh, did someone say that? <laughs> yeah, exactly, I think you're right. Yeah, if you have one of those like kind of tension meters and you say that, you can just feel the tension in the conversation double as soon as you say the name Jesus, right? So if that's where people would start, doubt, suspicion, maybe condescension towards you, they, they probably get one of those Oh, you're one of those people, right? So let's start with that. Peter begins with the response in his community. What if we started there? 
And to be honest, people might have a lot of good reasons for those responses. We live in a world where the name of Jesus has been around for thousands of years, and a lot of things have been done inappropriately in the name of Jesus. There have been healings that have been claimed to be in the name of Jesus that haven't been real. And those kinds of stories end up getting more attention than the good stories because of how people work. We like the drama. We like the controversy. So perhaps it's good for us to start with that, to say, yeah, there's a lot of reasons to be doubtful. There's a lot of reasons to be skeptical. Your response, thinking I'm crazy, I think I'm crazy sometimes. You know, maybe we start with people's response and begin there before going farther. That's what Peter does. Could be a model for us. But having begun there, what Peter does next is he takes the direction of his conversation not to the healing itself, but to Jesus. Listen to what he does. This is, as he continues, I'll read verses 13 to 16. Peter says, The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. But you denied the Holy and Righteous One and asked for a murderer to be granted to you. And you killed the author of life, whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses. And his name, by faith in his name, has made this man strong, whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given the man this perfect health in the presence of you all. Do you see how everything Peter says has to do with Jesus, with who he is, with how people have responded to him, with how what has happened has been through him? That's, it. That's helpful to me to realize that in the world we live in, if you start talking about Christianity or religion, there are a lot of rabbit holes you can go down. There are a lot of topics that create a lot of controversy and they're really hard to delve into. But Peter focuses on Jesus. Who is Jesus? What has he done? And why? And in particular, the thing that he focuses on about Jesus is how people's perceptions and attitudes towards Jesus are full of all of these ironies and conflicts. Notice he says that you denied the Holy One and you asked for a murderer. He says, you asked for a murderer and you took life away from him. You're the murderers. He says, you killed the author of life. And the one who was killed, who was the author of life, Jesus was raised back up to life. So he's poking at all of these inconsistencies and ironies and tensions with how they've responded to Jesus. Basically, what they think of Jesus doesn't make sense. And I think the same could be true in our culture. People don't really know what to do with Jesus. And the way people think about Jesus, about talk about Jesus, it, it's full of inconsistencies and ironies. People say, oh, Jesus has some great stuff to say. He was a great teacher. But he also claimed to be God, and that makes him crazy and a lunatic. So, I don't know. Maybe they're both true. Um, or he started this great religion, but, but he's also evil because his religion was really bad and all this stuff. And there's just all of this tension. 
And what Peter does is he says, let's not talk about all the other stuff. Let's talk about Jesus. He asks people to come face to face with the person of Jesus as part of his message. So for us then, if that's going to be a model for us, that means that when we speak of our faith, when we speak of what we believe, we speak of Jesus. We speak of Jesus. The problem, of course, with that is that there are unwritten rules in our culture that tell us not to speak of Jesus. One of the things that has happened in our world is that religion has been confined to the personal and private. Our culture is very clear. You can believe whatever you want. You just can't talk about it. Those are the rules we live among. And some of our workplaces have actual written rules that restrict us from speaking about what we believe. So if you are to go and speak of Jesus, you will be violating some social rules. It might cost you. It might cost you socially. It might cost you professionally. And so the question we have to ask is, given the statement we started with that Jesus is a healer and we live among tons of people who need healing desperately, is it worth breaking some of those rules in order to connect the dots? And if you're like me, what stops me sometimes is that I don't want people to think I'm strange. I don't want to be put in the bucket of one of those people. Whatever disdain people might feel towards Jesus, I don't want to step into that path and absorb it onto myself. I've told this story before, but it makes me think of this event that happened when I was in middle school I lived in Connecticut at the time, and I had a friend named Seth who was Jewish. And we were uh, kind of in the downtown area of our small town. Uh, We didn't have boba back then, but it would have been the equivalent of going out to boba for today. And we were walking around, and we encountered some of the local middle school bullies who proceeded to corner Seth and start yelling anti-Semitic hate speech at him, started spitting at him. And through some fluke of school dynamics, I happened to be on the math team with one of the bullies. Don't ask how that happened. So um, I was excluded from, from this hatred. And so I stood off to the side and watched my friend Seth receive this anger and hatred from these other people. And I was, you know, I don't know, 14, 15 year old kid, didn't know what to do. So I just stood there, waited it out, It eventually ended, and we went on our way and really never spoke of it. But I've thought about that a lot and wondered, what what could I have done? What should I have done? The only thing I could have done was to intervene, was to object, was to say something. And that would have inserted myself in the middle of that stream of anger and hatred. And for obvious reasons, as a young person, I didn't want to do that. But maybe in the case of what we believe about Jesus... That's what's asked of us. Maybe we're called for the sake of people receiving healing to step into that river of disdain or condescension or judgment or whatever it is that people feel towards Jesus or towards people who speak of Jesus. And maybe we're meant to experience some of that for ourselves for the sake of what it means. This is what Peter does. He stands up 
and he invites them to come face-to-face with who Jesus is if they're going to make a decision. And having done that then, he takes what he said about Jesus and he says, if this is true of Jesus, this is what it means to you. And so he goes from explaining what just happened with this healing with inviting them into a response. And what he does is he offers them something to give up and something to gain. So as I read this, I want to look for those things, ask you to look for those two things. He's asking them to give up something and to get something in return. So I'll read Acts 3, 17 to 21, and I'm going to jump down to verse 26 to pull out a phrase from there as well. He says, And now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did also your rulers. But what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets, that his Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. Repent, therefore, and turn back, that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all the things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. Jumping down to verse 26, God, having raised up his servant, sent him to you first to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. So Peter invites them to respond. He says there's something to give up and there's something to gain. The words to give up, uh, he says, repent, therefore, and turn away. Repentance is not a very popular word today, but it really just means turning away from something that's ruining your life. That's what repentance is. And so he says, you have to give up something. You have to repent and turn away from something. But when you do that, what lies on the other side, he says, uh, times of refreshing. He calls it the presence of the Lord. He speaks of the restoring of all things. And so we can kind of camp on those two words, repentance and refreshing. He says, give up something and gain something. And we're going to look at those two in a little more detail. This idea of repentance, what Peter says to them is repent of your ignorance. Repent of the wrong things you thought about Jesus and presumably then turn towards a proper understanding of Jesus. Which I think we can kind of expand to just be a general repentance. And this is a key part of what it means to follow Jesus, turning away from something. In fact, Jesus's first words when he came on the scene involved this. Listen to Mark 1, verse 15. This is the first thing Jesus is recorded as saying in the gospel of Mark. The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Jesus is inviting his listeners to turn away from the kingdom of the world and towards towards the kingdom of God, which has come that they can experience. So Peter is telling his people, repent. Which leads to the question for us, what do the people we know in our lives, in our world, what do they need to repent of? What are we turning away from? And there's a lot of answers to that question, but I think we could boil it down to this basic idea that we can do life on our own. That we're enough, that we're capable, that we don't need God. That's, that's essentially the core of what the Bible calls sin. 
is I'm okay without God, and so we turn away and we do what makes sense to us rather than what God has given us to do. So the fundamental idea is that I don't need God. And Peter says, that's what you can turn away from. It's a hard thing for us. We like to feel independent. We like to feel self-sufficient in our culture. I was thinking about this the other day because I was having a conversation with a, an editor from Christianity Today who's writing an article about how Christians interact with generative AI like ChatGPT. And we started talking about this topic of bias in artificial intelligence. If you're familiar with this field, it's a very big topic. And the basic idea is we've created this very powerful thing, but we inadvertently embedded it with all of our own brokenness, our biases. And so now we have to go back and figure out how to fix it because it looks too much like us, <laughs> right? But it's an interesting question because why would we think that we're capable of fixing it if the problem is that it's too much like us? Apologies to all the engineers in the room, but why would we think our engineers can solve this problem? <laughs> if the bias came from us, aren't we just going to be reinserting it at every step along the way? To put it in biblical terms, the question is, why do we think we can save ourselves? If the system is broken, the system can't fix itself. The system needs something external to come in and fix the system. So this idea that we can save ourselves, that we can fix our own problems, that we can do with it, if we just try a little harder, if we just get the right people in the room, if we just have enough diversity, if we just, if we just then we can solve the thing that's wrong with us. It doesn't make sense. Repentance is turning from that idea, from this crushing burden of self-sufficiency that we live under and receiving something else. The problem is that that feels like failure to us. It feels like failure to admit that we can't do it on our own. And failure feels like death. And so we have to die. Some part of us has to die if we're going to admit that we can't do it on our own. But what does Jesus do with things that die? He brings them back to life. And the whole story of the gospel is that if you die with Jesus, you will live with him. And so having given up this crushing burden of self-reliance, we admit, we turn from it, we need help, we die to ourselves. And what does Jesus say comes? Times of refreshing, the presence of the Lord, the restoring of all things. Isn't that what we want? If you were to ask the people you know, just in the normal course of life, how are you doing? How many of their answers would be, I'm tired, I'm exhausted, I'm overwhelmed, I don't know what to do, I'm not getting to sleep, I'm not going to exercise, I'm full of anxiety, all the things we came up with, right? If you were to say, how would you like some times of refreshing? Wouldn't they say, yeah, that's exactly what I want. So what is it that makes us so hesitant to lay down the burden of self-reliance, to repent and turn away, and to receive times of refreshing from the Lord? Such a powerful image. This is, one of the, this is the only time in the New Testament that phrase is used. Times of refreshing from the presence of the Lord. Isn't this what we want? 
So the people in our lives then, if we are in this role of speaking of Jesus, what we invite them into is first to let go of something and second to pick something up. And it's the same thing Jesus invited. Listen to what Jesus says in Matthew 11, verse 28. He says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you, what? Rest. Doesn't that sound great? How many of you labor and are heavy laden? I know I am. How many of the people you know labor and are heavy laden? Jesus says, come to me and I will give you rest. And so this invitation to repent and turn away, it's good news. It's good news because it's rest and it's refreshment. So for us then, speaking to the people that we know, we speak of Jesus, we focus on Jesus, but when we apply that, we invite them to respond. We speak of Jesus and then we invite people. It's an invitation. And an invitation presumes that there's something good that you're inviting people to. Hey, you want to come over for a party? Hey, you want to do this? Hey, I'm having this activity. So we invite people to respond to this. Yeah, you have to let go of this. But what you get is so much more valuable, so much richer and deeper. It's so worth it. This is the role that we find ourselves in as we speak, as we witness to who Jesus is and what he's doing in the world. So let's go back to our list of the things that the people we know need healing from. These are the kinds of things that people live with. Stress, mental health, loneliness, abandonment, spiritual poverty, sexual abuse, loss of jobs, cynicism, material ambition, past decisions, all of these things are what weigh people down. And so many of these things are the kinds of things that Jesus wants to invite people in to receive healing from. What Peter has done is he's said, you watched this man get healed, his entire life transformed in a second. And he says, this happens by the name of Jesus. And if you turn away from sin, and repent and accept Jesus, then you too can be healed. This event that you saw is a, a sign, an indicator, a foreshadowing of what is available to you. And he's inviting them along in that process. So as we think about the people we know and all the things that they struggle with, the, the truth is we struggle with a lot of them as well. And if we're walking with Jesus, we we find gradual, sometimes dramatic, other times small steps, healing as we walk with Jesus and encounter him in these things. And then we use our experience to say, this is who Jesus is. This is what he is. He's a healer. This is the kind of stuff that Jesus wants to do in the world. Don't you want that? Come to him and receive rest. It's not easy. As we said, it might cost us. There, there could be consequences. There could be things that uh, come back on us. But is it worth it? Is it worth it to speak of Jesus and offer people healing? We're going to continue in worship now 
we're going to sing two more songs before we wrap up for the morning. And both of these songs have a strong focus on God's capability to do dramatic things. So as we sing these words, as we sing of what God can do and how miraculously God can work, I want you, I want to invite you to be thinking about the people you know, thinking about this list of of what it is that people need healing from and, and remembering and proclaiming and reminding all of us together that God can do this. This is what God does. He is a healer. He is a restorer. He is a redeemer. This is what our God does in the scriptures. And I also want to invite you to just think of something. Ask the Spirit to speak to you of something that you might do to speak of Jesus. Some small thing. It doesn't have to be big. It doesn't have to be a massive life change. But, but some concrete act perhaps this week that, that you might take part in, that, that, that you might stretch yourself to do towards this direction. And finally, if you don't know Jesus, if you are investigating, if you're exploring, if you are, you know, not sure yourself, listen to these words. Listen to the words of who God is. Turn away from that crushing burden of self-reliance and receive the times of refreshing from Jesus. If you want to talk to one of us, myself or Alma or anybody else, uh, please do. We'd love to hear that. Let's pray. Father, oh, we're so grateful that you are a healer, that you restore us, that you see all that we need healing from, that this list that we've come up with is just a fraction of the brokenness that you're aware of. And we praise you for being a God who heals and restores and redeems. There's a lot of challenges in our world for that message being proclaimed clearly and faithfully. I ask you to give us courage and wisdom and um, faithfulness and creativity and boldness and all the things that we need to speak clearly. And we pray that your spirit would go out in the Bay Area. Pray that people would encounter you, that the deep brokenness that exists all around us, that we could see healing in people's lives and celebrate with them. We praise you, God, for what you can do, for Jesus, for the salvation you offer, and we lift all of this up in the name of Jesus the Christ. Amen.